Um, so early uh, in uh, mine and Sonda's marriage, actually right um, before we even got married, in, in the season when we were engaged, uh, we were wrapping up college and uh, I was serving as a pastor uh, out in a country church where I had given my life fully to the Lord and, and answered the call to follow him. And, and uh, we, we were, you know, feeling that um, adulthood, I guess, barreling down on us and, and we had decisions to make. And uh, as, we, as we got married, would I uh, stay on as pastor there at Cottonwood? Um, would I pursue uh, further study and, and, and pursue uh, possibly... Um, further degrees, and, and uh, we also had an opportunity, an invitation to come and serve um, uh, in, a, in a children's home down in Mexico, and, and I would just kind of machine gun Sana with all these options and different things, and she's like, I don't know what I signed up for here, but what is going on? And, and um, it was a confusing time, and beyond those like um, immediate decisions, there felt like these really big decisions of, am I going to pursue a life in pastoral ministry? Am I going to pursue a life in academics? Am I going to pursue um, some kind of missionary life, you know, caring for the vulnerable, orphans and widows and all these things? And do I have to separate all those things out? And, and it, was a, it was a confusing time. And uh, maybe you can relate to that. You can relate to that period of your life. Maybe some of, some of us are in that period of your life, or you can remember that period of your life where you think, man, if I, if I major in this, or if I major in that, or if I take this job, or if I take that job, where do I live, and what am I going to do? And, 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 and it's tempting to think that once we get that nailed down at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 25, that we've kind of got it permanently nailed down forever, but that's not the case for, for most of us. Uh, uh, many of us continue to wrestle with that sense of vocation and call and what am I going to do with my life and what am I doing with my life and it can be um, confusing. And so uh, there's all kinds of, of opportunities in life for confusion and, and sometimes we experience that kind of vocation confusion. We experience uh, uh, confusion about call, like what am I supposed to do with my life and do I go here or do I go there? Do I do this or do I do that? Um, there's times in our lives where we experience relational confusion, where um, maybe in our marriage things are not the way we envisioned it being, and, 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 and we're like, um, how did this happen? You know, how did we get here? You ever ask yourself that question just in general? How did I get here? Where am I going? Uh, maybe, maybe you've become disillusioned in, in your marital relationship, and you're like, man, I didn't realize it was going to be this. Maybe, maybe there's a family relationship that's, that's, that, that, that's tense, and, and there's confusion over there. Um, there's all kinds of areas in our lives where we can, maybe there's financial confusion or health confusion. And there's times in our lives that we open up the box of what did God send me today and, um, and we just find ourselves tied up in knots. You familiar with that? Familiar with that, that feeling of just being full of angst and worry and just tied up in knots? Um, I can think about many times in my life when there's been that kind of season, and, and, and it's difficult for us to imagine how could confusion ever be a gift? How could a season of disillusionment or confusion or, 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 or not being able to see very far, how could that possibly be a gift from God? And that's what we want to try to talk about this morning. So I ask you to, to recognize confusing times in your life. When has there been times in your life when you've been tied up in knots? Uh, what are you tied up in knots about right now? Maybe it's finances, maybe it's health, maybe it's relationship, maybe it's call, maybe it's loss. 
But what has you tied up in knots now, if anything? Recognize those times in our lives. And then uh, once we recognize them, we can, we, can, we can receive them humbly. We can receive confusion by saying, what might God be doing in this? You know, when I'm confused, uh, I, I typically, I know this is hard to believe, but I tend to charge ahead and say, confusion's going on. How's Matt going to fix this? But confusion really is an opportunity to step back and say, what's God up to? What's God going to do? What might God do here? And as we do that, as we seek God's character, we have an opportunity to return that season of confusion to God in worship. All right, so, so our culture, our time, our, just humanity, I think, in general, we love certainty. We want things to be nailed down. We want things to be black and white. We want to know what we know, what we know, what we, what we know, and confusion is a big threat to that uh, because confusion threatens our, 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 our certainty, and, and so when somebody dies and, wait, that wasn't supposed to happen, or, or we have a rupture in a relationship, or, or the bottom falls out of our finances, or whatever it is that happens that throws us into that confusion, it threatens our certainty, um, but but, but even though confusion is a threat to certainty, I believe that confusion can be a conduit to clarity. Confusion can be a conduit to clarity. And we can, through a season of confusion, gain clarity on who is God. We can gain clarity on who does God say I am. And if I'm honest, it's during those seasons of confusion that I cry out to God the most. It's during those seasons of confusion when my life is disrupted that I cry out to God. Are you like that? Maybe if things are going great and everything's nailed down, we kind of just get on autopilot. But confusion can be a gift because when it happens, we cry out to God. We have the opportunity to cry out to God. We have an opportunity to seek God's character. And as we seek God's character and as we worship His character... Confusion can be a conduit to clarity. So God is not the author of, of, of our confusion. God, certainly, um, uh, certainly not always. And God does not want us to live in a perpetual state of confusion. But there are times that God troubles the waters in our lives. There's times that God shakes things up in our lives and that's confusing. And there's times even if God's uh, not the one that sent it, regardless of where the confusion came from, God wants to use seasons of confusion in our lives to bring us to greater clarity. And confusion is a conduit to clarity. We gain clarity by focusing on God's character. That's our big idea today. We gain clarity by focusing on God's character. You're ever in a, a confusing circumstance and you just keep studying the circumstance and no matter which way you look at the circumstance, you're still confused. And so you go round it, round it, round it, over and over and over. And I'm convinced that we don't gain clarity necessarily by, by putting our circumstances under a microscope. We gain clarity as we magnify God's character, as we root our lives in God's character. Now, now confusion is... Um, relevant to Christmas in so many ways. And, and as you go into your holiday meals and holiday parties and all this, uh, confusion can, or Christmas can, confusion can be a very Christmas time. Christmas can be a very confusing time. And maybe uh, it's, it's, and it's, it's, we know that the, this is a time of year that the, the rate of suicide increases and, 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 and people really often struggle with greater depression. And, and, and as we go into the holidays, as we go into Christmas, 
often as we gather around a table, there's seats missing from that table, right? Maybe loved ones that passed away years ago or, 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 or passed away this year. Maybe there's seats missing from the table because uh, there's relationships that are broken. Maybe the seat missing from the table is yours and, 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 and you wish you had a table this year. Maybe Christmas is confusing because, um, because it's an opportunity to look around at your family and say, we are not the cleavers. Something is wrong with us. Do you ever have those kind of reflections at, at Christmas? Like, what happened to us? You know, I'm not sure, I'm not convinced the cleavers are even the cleavers. We just saw kind of the TV version. But often at Christmas, at the holidays, we say, man, what happened? And that can be a confusing thing. And I want, I want us to remember that it is into a confused world that Jesus stepped. It wasn't into a sanitized, perfect, clean world. It was to a broken and down and out and confused world that Jesus stepped. And so Christmas has a lot to say to our confusion. Um, sometimes we're confused about evil and injustice in the world. How can this be? I mean, we've been preaching the gospel for 2,000 years. How can people still be killing each other? And how can there still be war and poverty? Sometimes we're confused about how did I get here and where am I going? Sometimes we're confused about a relationship or we're confused sometimes by our sin. You ever get confused by your own sin? Like, why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep doing it over and over and over again? Maybe you're confused about somebody else's sin. Why does he keep doing that? Why does she keep doing it? Sin can be confusing. We get confused about our purpose. There's all these opportunities to be confused. But regardless of where your season of confusion comes from, regardless of what's got you tied up in knots, confusion can be an opportunity to gain clarity by focusing on God's character. It can be a conduit to clarity by focusing on God's character. And I confess, again, that it's during those seasons of feeling tied up in knots that I've sought God the most. And for that reason, they've been a gift to me. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Um, in the sixth month, this is in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh, John the Baptist's mother that, uh, that Luke just told us about. But in the sixth month, verse 26, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So remember the story. Here's Mary. She's a young woman betrothed. That means engaged, but like engagement on steroids, really intense engagement. Um, and uh, the, the, her and Joseph have not known one another. She has not known a man intimately. They're engaged, and this angel appears to her. Verse 28, he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. That's, a, that's quite an introduction. That word greetings um, is really more, more significant than just like, hey, how you doing? It's from the Greek word for joy. Literally what the angel is saying to her is rejoice, favored one. Rejoice, favor comes from the word for, for, for grace. So rejoice, one on whom God's grace has rested. Rejoice, you who've experienced God's grace. The Lord is with you you okay and 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 so what's about to happen is a somewhat confusing conversation that Mary walks away perplexed and troubled and this is confusion that God has intentionally inflicted upon her greeting but the whole conversation begins with rejoice one on whom God's favor rests on whom God's grace rests the Lord is with you and that's one piece of God's character we can hold on to no matter what's going on. The Lord is with you. 
in my confusion, I'm most apt to forget that God is with me. It's in times of confusion, loss, struggle, pain. How did this happen? I did all the right things and this still happened. It's in those times of confusion I'm really tempted to feel alone. And yet over and over and over throughout Scripture, God's Word says to us, you are not alone, the Lord is with you. And that's fundamentally what Christmas is about, is that we were alone, and Jesus stepped into our mess, and we're not alone anymore, okay? And so rejoice, favored one. Let's think for a moment what rejoice, what joy and favor meant for Mary. It meant she's about to receive news that she's expecting a child even though she's never been intimate with a man. Everybody's going to talk about her and gossip about her. And how did Mary get, get pregnant before her and Joseph were even married? It meant being outcasted. That's what joy meant for her. That's what rejoice favored one meant for her. God's favor meant that she would raise this child that was different than everybody else. She would raise this child who would do things like disappear at the temple for days and, and get lost. And, and wouldn't you know, I would be about my father's business. She would raise, she would watch this child grow and, and, and he would be her heart. And at about the age of 30, he would say, mom, I'm out of here. I'm leaving the family business. I got to go tell people, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And every, and she would, everybody would come and report to her. Do you, do you believe the crazy stuff your husband's, your, your husband, your, your, your son said today? You believe what your, what your son Jesus said this time? And so she would send her other kids to go rein him back in. And he would say, who, who are my mother and sister of brothers? My mother and sister of brothers are those that through the will of my Father in heaven. She would watch this son be rejected, uh, abandoned by his closest friends, bear his cross all the way up the hill called Calvary, cripple and buckle under its weight, be nailed to it, be suspended between heaven and earth, naked, despising its shame, crying out, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. She would watch all that and and, and can we agree that would have been confusing? He was supposed to sit on, his, on the throne of his father David. He was supposed to rule the nations. That's what it meant to be favored one. The angel is telling Mary good news, but it didn't mean everything was easy. There's a lot of circumstances that are going to happen over the next 30 years. They're going to be deeply confusion. Verse 29, she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. She was troubled. That word troubled uh, is, is, is the word she's perplexed, she's stirred up, she's confused. Or as Eugene Peterson translates it, she's thoroughly shaken. Now God tells her something and it troubles her, it confuses her, it shakes her. And, and it says that she tries to discern what this meet, greeting might be. When we feel confused, Mary gives us a really great example. That word discern is the word where we get in Greek our word dialogue. She steps back and kind of has this inward dialogue of what might this mean? I wonder what God is trying to do. And how many confusing situations in our lives do we add fuel to the fire to when we just go, go in guns blazing and we're going to fix it and we're going to sort it out? Rather than taking a step back... I wonder what God might be doing here. Discern. That's what discernment is about. You think we could all benefit from, discern, from, some, from exercising some discernment? Oh, I heard this about so-and-so. I'm going to assume the worst possible motives for them. Wait a minute. Okay, what might God be doing here? What else might be going on here? 
It's, uh, it's an important, uh, in, our, in, our, in, our, in our world today, we need more Marys who step back and discern. You found favor with God. Verse 31, behold, you will conceive in your womb. You will bear a son. You will call his name Jesus. He will be great. He'll be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom. There will be no end. And she said, Mary said, how will this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of God will, the, the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Your relative Elizabeth is, is in her Old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month of her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I'm a servant. I'm the slave of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. There's these twin convictions. As Mary walks through the, the confusion of this conversation and the confusion of the next 30 plus years of her life, these twin convictions that Mary emerges from confusion with are nothing is impossible with God and let it be done to me according to his word. I'm just his servant. I'm not calling the shots here. When I'm paying attention to God's character, those are the two convictions that I walk away from through seasons of confusion. Nothing's impossible with God. Sometimes nothing being impossible with God means that he delivers us from that terrible thing. Sometimes it means we watch our son get crucified and he impossibly helps us survive it. Sometimes nothing is impossible means, means we dodge the bullet. Sometimes it means we take the bullet and somehow God gets us through something that we couldn't possibly have gotten through all on our own. Mary's confusion is the conduit to that conviction. And it's interesting to me, all that being said, the angel begins his word to Mary. And this is a heavy task she's been given. There's going to be lots of seasons beyond this conversation that she's confused. And he says, rejoice. Kind of reminds me, we say, how can we say Merry Christmas when man, life's a mess and, and, and so many people are upset? It's not a Merry Christmas because this is wrong with my life and this is wrong with my life and I've got broken relationship with this person and this person passed away and I don't know how... That's always been what Merry Christmas is about. It's kind of the point. Rejoice was never about rejoice in how great my circumstances are. Rejoice means rejoice that the Son of God has stepped into a world that's broke down. The Son of God has stepped into a confused... It's precisely a joyless and a confused and a grieving and a sin-twisted world that Jesus intentionally stepped into. And we don't say Merry Christmas because the world is good. We say Merry Christmas because Jesus is good. We say Merry Christmas not because my circumstances are awesome, but because the Son of God has taken on my flesh and He stepped into my situation. And that is what I can rejoice in. It's in those seasons of confusion that I cry out to God the most. The thing about John chapter 11, when, when Jesus' friend Lazarus died and, and, and they sent word, Jesus, your friend is sick, it's bad, come quick, and Jesus went ahead and stayed where he was for a couple days and let Lazarus die. Do you think that was confusing? Do you think Lazarus was just watching that door for Jesus to show up and he didn't and he died? And by the way, Jesus had boundaries. His friend called him, come help me, and Jesus kept doing what he was doing for two more days. Don't expect anybody else to be a better friend than Jesus. You can't try to be a better friend than Jesus. Just because there was a need, it means Jesus dropped everything he was doing and went and did it. He let Lazarus die. He had, he had other things he was going to do, but it was confusing in the meantime. 
So what happens? He, gets, he, he finally goes, because he just did things in his own timeline. He goes, and Martha runs out and says, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. And then Mary goes. She had said this. She called her sister Mary, saying, a prophet, the teacher's here, and he's calling for you. Verse 29. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. And Mary does the same thing. She goes to Jesus. Uh, he's out there outside the village. He's still in the place where Martha had met him. And, and, and Mary says, verse 31, the suspense. When the Jews who were there with her in the house consoling her, they saw, they saw her rise quickly. They go out. They say, oh, she's going to go to the tomb and weep. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet, right? She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many times have we said that? How could this have happened? Where was Jesus? Where was Jesus when this tragedy happened? Where was Jesus when this relationship blew up? Where was Jesus when my bank account went poof? Where was Jesus? Man, I've gone to Sunday school, and this still happened. Where was Jesus? And he saw her weeping, and the Jews had come with her weeping, and he was deeply moved, and he was greatly troubled. Same word. As Mary was troubled, Jesus isn't confused. But he's got empathy, and he's not unaffected by our trouble. He's troubled, and he's stirred right along with us. And we know what happens next. He goes, and he, and he, he says, I'm the resurrection of the life. And he, he says, roll that stone away. And he calls Lazarus by name, and Lazarus comes out. And there's no way they could have known the incredible thing Jesus was about to do. They had to go through the confusion to get there. Earlier this week, I went to a funeral of, a, of one of my closest high school friends, and and he had, he had passed away suddenly, and, and, and we sang this song there that I hadn't thought about in years, and it's called Farther Along, and I can only hear the Hank Williams version in my head with that twang, but it goes farther along, I'm not going to try to sing it, we'll, we'll know more about it farther along, we'll understand why, cheer up my brother, live in the sunshine, we'll understand it more by and by. And it's saying that we'll get further down the road and look back and things may make more sense than they do now. And that's that Romans 8.18 perspective. I'm, I'm convinced that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to compare to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And confusion, uh, it, it, can, it can make us lose perspective. But Romans 8.18, that perspective says, farther along, this may make sense and I'm going to trust God in the meantime. I'm going to trust God with, with Mary and with Martha and with Lazarus. I'm going to trust God with Jesus right there in the Garden of Gethsemane who said, if there's any other way for this to happen, please let the cup pass from my lips. But nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. When we're confused, we say, man, where's my help going to come from? And that takes us back to Psalm 121 that we read earlier. Psalm 121 is part of the Psalms of Ascents. Psalm 120 to 134, the the, the people would sing these songs on their way up to Jerusalem to worship. They're, they're pilgrims on a journey, and they would sing these songs on their way. And 121 says, I lift my eyes up to the hills. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And, and on, on this, this pilgrim journey, the, 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 the Israelites would take on the way to Jerusalem. They would be going to Jerusalem to the true temple, but they would lift their eyes up to the hills, and on all these hills were idolatrous places of worship that had been set up to, to worship pagans, to worship idols, because people of Israel had turned away from God, and they set up what's called high places up there on the hills, because, you know, the closer you are to heaven, the more God's going to hear you, right? And so they would set up these pagan worship sites, and the psalmist was saying, I'm going to the true temple, and I look up, and I look at the hills, and I say, is that where my help comes from? Does my help come from idols? Oh, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And when we're confused, we're tempted to look at our idols. 
We're tempted to say, is that where my help's going? Maybe one more relationship and I'll feel like I'm enough. Maybe one more award, one more promotion at work, and I'm going to feel like I'm, I'm worth it, right? Maybe one more degree, maybe one more, um, maybe, maybe, maybe one more, um, one more time I'm going to look at porn, and, and that's going to be enough. I'm going to scratch the itch, and I won't, I won't look to that anymore. You know, I'm just going to get drunk one more time. Whatever that idol is, man, I, that, that, that hasn't helped me yet, but I'm going, to, I'm going to see if it'll help me this time. But with the psalmist, we say, no, I know that's not where my help comes from. I know that's not where my deliverance comes from. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And it's times of confusion. We gain clarity if we'll focus on God's character and we can come out of that time saying, I don't have to look at those mountains I've been, I've been looking at. I don't have to look at that mountain anymore that I've been looking at. The mountain I'm looking at is the mountain where Jesus' cross is planted, Mountain Calvary where the Son of God bled and died for me and did for me what I could never do. That's where my help comes from. That's where my help comes from. It's an opportunity to remember that my help comes from the Lord. And, and there's times in my life that I can look back on and I can remember times that I was just, I was just tied up in knots of confusion. I remember as a teenager when I had failed God and failed my family and failed myself and failed everybody. And I had asked, you know, how could God ever use me? How could life ever be good after this? And, and I think about Early on in our marriage, when Son and I had thought, have we, made the, have we made a mistake? Did we marry the wrong person? How could she be this way? How could he be this way? What, what, why, are we, why are we like this together? Is there any hope for us? It was confusing. And, 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 and then I think about our, our miscarriage. And, 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 and man, we prayed and we, we were healthy and we, we did right and, and this still happened. And I think, about, I think about little Kylie who was two years old and in the nursery with Ava and, 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 and died in an accident. And we prayed that she would live and we prayed saying all the right words and quoting scripture. And we prayed even after she was gone and we knew that God could raise her from the dead and he didn't. And I, I was done then. I was done. And then I think about I think about my dad. And I think about him, him suddenly dying from a heart attack. And I remember doing CPR on him 10 years ago almost and, 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 and praying and believing and trusting and he died anyway. I think about times when I've wondered, is God, is God done with me? Did, did, did I, I mishear God? I think about think about being part of a missions organization, doing work that I loved, and trying to understand how come kids that are innocent get their arms and legs blown off by war? How can a parent sell their child as a slave? And then, and then that same organization being pretty much obliterated by narcissistic leaders who cared more about their egos than God and Finally coming to a point where I had to say, I can't do this anymore. This isn't good. I can't be part of this anymore. And so I got fired for speaking the truth. And I wondered, who's ever going to hire a guy that got fired for insubordination in ministry? Maybe my ministry's over. Who would be crazy enough to hire me? And apparently you guys were. <laughs> You're welcome. And all these times in my life, where I was tied up in knots. 
have become my handholds now. And when I fall down, and when I fail, and when I'm confused, I say, here's what God did for that 16-year-old teenager. Here's how God got us through that miscarriage. Here's what God did when I was so confused I wanted to quit, not just being a pastor, but being a Christian. Here's how God walked me through a season of such discouragement that I could never even imagine it or want to inflict it on anybody. Here's where God was when I was swinging a sledgehammer, doing construction, uh, trying to figure out if I would ever stand in the pulpit again. Here's what God did in my marriage. And when I fall, and I do, when I get confused, you might look at this and say, Matt, you get confused a lot. Yeah. And every one of those times in my story when I was tied up in knots has become a handhold that I remember that God is faithful. Amen. Guys, I ask you to recall to your mind, what are these for you? Maybe you're confused right now. What has been that time that you've walked through a season and you've come out of it? Maybe it didn't mean the bad thing didn't happen, but it meant God got you through what would have been impossible to get through on your own. And how's that a handhold for you now? Each of these are a reminder to me that nothing is impossible with God. So what's not helpful when we're confused or when we're in a season of confusion? You know, if you're flying an airplane in a storm, you've got to rely, here you've got to rely on your instruments, right? And there's all these instruments on the panel. And in our lives, we've got the instruments on our that control our life, and one is our feelings, one is people in, our, in our, uh, our Christian community, what they say, one is our testimony, what God, what's God done in my life so far, one's God's word, and one of the worst things we can do if we're flying through a season of confusion is only pay attention to the gauge of how do I feel. Your feelings matter, we all have to acknowledge that now, right? Your feelings matter, and they're real, but your, our feelings are not a reliable guide for flying through a storm. How I feel, I've got to be aware of that. But I've also got to be aware of what are wise people speaking into my life? What's been my story so far? And what does God's word say? You know what? God's word is full of handholds. Here's Abram and Sarah. Trust in God 25 years. They were old to begin with. And then for 25 years, they trust God that they're going to get that child. Here's the people of Israel in the, in the wilderness languishing as slaves, crying out to God. Here's Malachi looking and saying, ah, he's coming sometime in 400 years, the people wait. And then here's Jesus being born, just like God said he would, going to the cross, rising from the dead. And God's word is full of these times that God's people were tied up in knots. That God's character was sure. And now we can hold on to those. So as, as the band's coming up, I just want to reiterate, I want to ask you to remember those times in God's word. Remember those times in your own story where a season of confusion became a moment of clarity that you can hold on to now. There's really three things that, I'm, that I have great clarity on. One is the incarnation of Jesus. Jesus was born and put on flesh just like he said he would. The next is the cross of Jesus Christ. He bore my cross and yours, and he died on that cross, the death that I deserved to take my place. And third, I'm, I'm clear, and I believe, and I trust that Jesus rose from the dead, just like he said he would.
And he's alive today. He overcame sin, uh, sin and death and hell. So from that I get, God is faithful. God's faithful. His cross and his incarnation and his resurrection prove that. Second, God is good. Guys, you're loved not because you're good. You're loved because God's good. And so many of us, when we get confused, we try to just prove how good we are. And if I'm just good enough, and then we keep spiraling and spiraling and spiraling. You're loved, not because you're good, but because God's good. And if you can take your eyes off of your goodness and put your eyes on God's goodness, A, you're going to have a lot more peace, and B, you'll get good. <laughs> you'll become good as you focus on His goodness and not your own. And, and last, I've learned that God is sovereign. There's been no struggle, no storm that I've walked through that I haven't farther along been able to look back and does it mean God caused it or God sent it? No, but God was there and he was in it and it wasn't bigger than him and he did something in it and God's faithful, God's good, God's sovereign and there's no greater example of that than when we come to the Lord's table.